so why Russian conspiracy theories and what is what are they? When they think of Russian and conspiracy theory, they think of their, that they conspired to meddle in our elections. Right, right. That's that's, which, um, which the, you know, well, I mean, we've, we've all been over this territory, right? And yeah. the Russians were jubilating because they said, well, there was no collusion. You are listening to the Slavic Connection. Today we have on the show Professor Keith Livers. He is a professor in the Department of Slavic Studies, and he does quite a bit of research on conspiracy theory in general, although he kind of has a disdain for the subject, which we'll get into. What did we get into, Matt? What did we get into? We got into contemporary Russian literature, specifically Pilevin, and kind of the intersection between contemporary Russian culture and conspiracies, but again, wrapped up in the whole kind of global phenomenon of of conspiracy theories. And then uh, later we we got into some other examples, the Mm -hmm. X-Files, help me out here, what else? Oliver Stone. Oh, Oliver Stone, sure, sure. So we also talked a little bit about like, you know, what this means for society going forward. Mostly bad stuff. (laughs) Here's Keith Flavers. You're listening to the Slavic Connection, brought to you by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Livers, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Finally, <laughs> I feel, after I much feel like, time. Yes, I feel like I'm. I, I feel like I'm on Terry Gross or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah, that's how you should. Be. I'll <laughs> silently sip coffee into the mic during yes. the show. Uh, we were talking off air a little bit how you have put a decent amount of literature in sort of the well-trodden field of conspiracy, a field you may not be that interested in being in. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that point of view? Oh, I see what you're getting at. So yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is it is true that uh, I've put a, I've, I've put at this point a good deal of effort into sort of studying this matter, um, and obviously a book is coming out with University of Toronto Press, which I <laughs> feel I should probably plug that. But but the funny thing about this you know about this whole matter is that I never myself was particularly interested in conspiracy theories or conspiracy theorizers or occult or any of it. In fact, usually when people would bring this up. Uh, even before I started doing uh, working on the Russian material, my eyes would glaze over, and I think, "Oh God, are we going to hear this again?" But uh, I'm, I hope I'm ans- actually answering yeah, your question in terms fine. of like the how I got here. So, um, what happened is I started noticing it in pop culture artifacts, specifically in Pulevin, um, who is still actually sort of thematizing conspiracy up to the present moment, as far as I know. I mean, the the last thing I've read was. Methuselah's lamp, and that was 2016, and it was it was pretty heavily used there. I imagine everything. Yes, his other that. works yep. have it has it too. Yeah. Same thing. So, um, but it's for, it actually started out with Pulevin, and I thought you know so as as much as I was not maybe dispositionally inclined to to actually work on this topic, I thought well, um, it, it's it's a it seems to be a big thing, and then at the same time, what happened, uh, and this is beyond the scope of the Russian material, is that I noticed, you know, th- that here. Um, I was hearing more and more sort of conspiracy memes or conspiracy memes or whatever we want to call them coming up. Friends who would talk about these things and say things that I thought were quite strange. Uh, and so I noticed, I think, what everyone in the field of conspiracy studies, because it is actually a field at this point, has noticed is that uh, it's been mainstreamed in, in, in mm-hmm. recent decades. And certainly since, I mean, I started noting it, noticing it, I think, since about 2006 or so. Um, and I probably was a latecomer to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it just, I mean, it, it was so, it was, it became clear that it was so much a part of the zeitgeist that um, 
there really wasn't much to do about it, except to, um, even if I wasn't particularly inclined to, to be interested. So that's when I sort of started thinking that, okay, well, something has to be written. And then I published something in 2010 in Russian Review. And what's kind of interesting about that, about that article, I mean, I think it was like one of the first sort of articles to to, to release, I mean, not necessarily the first, but one of the first to make this uh, sort of more visible. One of the things that was kind of interesting is one of the reviewers said, and I remember this very clearly because I was incensed by it or whatever you are when you get the reviewer reports, that this topic, that this subject matter was essentially irrelevant and that he didn't want the article to be published because it doesn't need, because it's not. And then uh, I could tell from the literature that he asked me to, to, to read, you know, to, to improve the article, that he really just didn't like conspiracy mm-hmm. and that it was an irritant to him. So on a, in a sense, we were kind of on the same page, except my thinking was, well, no matter what I think about it myself, it clearly is on everyone else's mind. It exists. Um, it exists, and it's not going in a way, and that clearly has shown itself to be yeah. true. And so that's uh, that's when I decided that perhaps it, it required a, a deeper look. You mentioned off there that you don't necessarily like talking about it, though. Is that because... A, it's maybe banal and this stuff is talked about so much and B, because half people don't half the people don't even understand what you're talking about part of the time. They get confused and they think conspiracies is about Russian. Well, it, it might it might be that there's a kind of um, bifurcated approach. So you hear two ways um, that people have of approaching this matter. So they'll either be very enthusiastically themselves espousing particular conspiracy theories. When they when you say, oh, I, I study this, they'll immediately launch into their theory about 9-11. <laughs> um, if they really feel comfortable with you after some point, they'll sort of launch into other theories. Fourth beer. Uh, 9-11 yeah, yeah. is a pickup line. And- <laughs> yeah, basically. basically. And then it's like when they, you know, once uh, once they've already got you um, hooked um, in bed, as it were. Then that's when they start telling you about um, about reptilians, oh, um, wow. and so elders of Zion. And, and yes, all that, all of that stuff. Well, not too many people bring up the elders of Zion. You have to be you have to be pretty pretty well versed in it to really know. Strangely enough, because that that, that has mutated so many mm-hmm. times that the people don't recognize the original uh, the, the sort of ur text the original text but sure. but yeah so there'll be these people who 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 want to tell you their conspiracy um who want to share their conspiracy beliefs with you um because they think that you're you know you're a sympathetic ear which i suppose i am uh even though i myself am totally agnostic and then there are the people who are themselves sort of frustrated by conspiracy theories and who try to explain um they 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 they, they ask you <laughs> Well, is it possible just to, you know, just to, to explain to those people that they're being irrational? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and no matter, yeah. yeah. And it's like, well, no, probably not. Yeah. It probably mm-hmm. isn't going to work. I mean, you can try, but I, I tried once or twice and after that I never picked it up. So it's, I think it's that the, the fact that you have these two, you know, very sort of extreme approaches, mm-hmm. you know, sort of colloquially you you get from people. And, and that maybe is why. You, you get sort of tired uh, of talking about it. And yeah, and, and I guess beyond that, though, um, what I would also say, and this is maybe a, a, a slightly more personal 
approach to it is, you know, to the extent that conspiracy is, is you know, sort of emerges from a world that is in some way, is in many ways sort of out of control or spinning out of control. And so every time I hear, you know, people talk about this, whether they're invested in it or invested in stamping, rooting it out, which is equally silly, I suppose, um, it makes me aware of, uh, of, of the sort of underlying issues that mm -hmm. produce the conspiracy theories in the first place. And, and that then becomes, it, it just, I, I think it's, uh, it, it's troubling, um, it, it, you know. So in that sense, it, you know, it's kind of depressing. So, so maybe in that sense, there's there's a kind of personal component. It's like I don't want right. I don't want to think about you know the the sort of underlying preconditions that have produced this surge in conspiracy thinking. Because the funny thing about this is, I mean, we talked about this before, but if you had brought this up as a professor in class in two thousand five, six, seven, eight a lot of these conspiracy memes, nobody would have had any idea what you were talking about. Just nothing. You know? I should add, we were in a class called yeah. Conspiracy Culture last yes, fall. Yes, exactly. So. But, oh yeah, yeah. But now, but now it's like, it's still, uh, you know, very robust. Mm -hmm. This is one of my, my digressions where I think I'm going to loop back. And I don't remember where I'm looping yeah, back, but, but, but whatever. I was wondering, do you have any specific conspiracy theories? I guess we can compartment, you know, separate them into mm -hmm. Russian conspiracy theories mm -hmm. and then maybe an American one, kind of your favorite mm -hmm. conspiracy theories. Because I, for, for example, have mine that I mentioned with Ilya Yablokov when he came on the podcast about uh, Operation Golgotha, which I think is just hilarious. And when I first found out about uh -huh. it, I was just I was just laughing so hard. I mean, are there any conspiracy theories that you just find entertaining like that? I, I probably am past the point where I'm yeah, right, right. yeah. I mean, I hate to say that, but um, actually, they don't well, induce laughter well, in you ever. They, they do. I mean, sometimes they do, but there are so many of them. I mean, there's there's one that's not a. I mean, there's so many that it's hard to talk about a favorite. But when I was reading, uh, or when I was finishing uh, Methuselah's Lamp, Pelevin's uh, novel, Methuselah's Lamp, there was one sort of idea that I thought was just really great, and it speaks to kind of what Russians, you know, how, how Russians are, are invested in conspiracy theories and what sorts of theories they might uh, produce uh, or generate. But so this this one, at one point in the novel, uh, it, the plot's always sort of twisted in, in Palavin, but mm. basically these FSB officers travel backward in time to the end of the 19th century in order, in, in order basically to change the timeline so that it turns out that that basically a Russian is the first in flight. Instead of the Wright brothers, it's, it's this um, uh, this guy, his name is Markian Stepanovich uh, Mazhaisky, and they travel back in time in order to ensure that Russia is the first in flight, uh, basically changing the timeline, but because there are these sort of uh, kind of cosmic alien beings, reptilians, actually feminist reptilians, Called squints, wow, this and is then so um, and then yeah. these other uh, kind of traditionalist, their sort of traditionalist counterpart, uh, counterparts who are uh, backing these FSB officers who travel backward in time, called bearded ones. <laughs> um, so it's this kind of cosmic battle between these alien species, reptilian on the one side and mm -hmm. bearded on the other, who have their own sort of accounts to settle and who are also trying to change timelines and working in this kind of multiverse, uh, who are then working with the CIA on the one hand, so the squints are working with CIA operatives, then um, uh, the bearded ones are working with these FSB officers who travel back in time in order to change Russia's um, kind of sort of 
not only historical status, but it's it, it's kind of cosmic um, cosmic status. Mm-hmm. That um, seems and to that be- is very that is actually it's funny. You know, Pelevin is joking around. But it actually speaks to a very common Russian conspiracy idea mm-hmm. or fear that shapes the conspiracy narrative. And that seems to be a theme of just his sort of writing is he's obsessed with who is actually in charge. And I remember in Homo sapiens right, how right. it's all politicians are computer animated right, right. and they don't even know who's calling the shots. Right. And I mean, of all the conspiracy we discussed in class and even just like conspiracy theories are probably the least interesting mm-hmm. part of the class. We were watching mm-hmm. the X-Files, Maturing Candidate, JFK. Right. Yeah. It was more about how it's presented mm-hmm. is the more interesting idea. Yeah. But it's really just about these people don't believe who is presented in charge or actually in charge. And I think that's where mm-hmm. a lot of this comes from. Yeah. It's funny in, in, in terms of like that, that question that you asked. I mean, it's also very sort of wittily answered in the book. Um, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but it's like, well, someone's asking. I think it's it might be Majaisky. I can't remember. It's probably Majaisky asking these FSB officers, like, like who's who's in control of all this? And it's like, well, the Masons. Who controls the well? The, and who controls the Masons? Well, the reptilians. Well, then who controls the reptilians? <laughs> you know, and it's this sort of mise en beam that goes mm-hmm. that that is typical for you know for because exactly. I mean, you're exactly right. In in, in Generation P, Homo sapiens. The question about who controls is 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 never answered, which is typical for Pelevin and also for other kind of what we call post-paranoid authors. But Russians themselves, outside of Pelevin, have um, very specific ideas about who controls. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the same vein, he has that like uh, clever anecdote about the thirty birds that are searching for a parliament, oh, yeah. and they go long and wide, and they find out that parliament means thirty, 30 birds. birds. Right, <laughs> right, totally. I mean, uh, you know, totally, totally in 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 the spirit of Pelevin. All of these books uh, are in some way inviting people to to envision a sort of realm beyond conspiracy, as much as he thematizes it. Uh, I guess it's kind of it's it's a funny sort of contradiction within him because he talks about it all the time. But then there are these moments where he's saying, maybe, maybe there's some, maybe there's some realm outside of all of this. Um, so you believe it is in this goal to kind of to show the absurdity of these theories, and then to show the the reader, hey, look. I wouldn't say that, and I guess you kind of have to read the book for that. But I wouldn't say that that it's his that it's his intent to expose the absurdity of the theories, because I think that he's you know he's sophisticated enough to realize that the theories emerge uh, they they emerge out of a particular context and they speak to. Uh, you know, they, they they speak to a sense of bewilderment or confusion about certain aspects of the contemporary world, and so you know, th- there's 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 a re- I mean, they they have something to tell us. I mean, that's one of the things that we talked about in in, in that seminar. But so th- there's a reason that they're there, but there is there's a realm out, th- there's a realm that a person could inhabit outside of um, those those theories that is ultimately more productive to be sort of you know, lost in this maelstrom of, of, of theories of conspiracy. Ideas. So I, I, I read somewhere where did I, that, that it was disdain for conspiracy. And, and I don't think that's true because I don't think if, if it were There's really sympathy, disdain. sympathy there and understanding for these people. An understanding of a sense of a, a broader sort of spiritual confusion or the sort of complexity and strangeness you know, of the 21st century world that produces this need to believe um, in conspiracy theories. Ultimately, it's clear that he himself doesn't, you know, doesn't endorse them or believe in them. But, but there's a sympathy for the, you know, for the spirit of the times that mm-hmm. produces them, and sure. and that's what what is actually interesting about um, 
you know, the revisionist conspiracy scholar, I mean, scholarship about conspiracy theories that was, that's mostly produced in the Anglophone world. Mm. It's mostly American and British researchers that, you know, there was an attempt, I mean, there was an attempt finally to sort of understand, you know, to, to, to produce a more sympathetic reading of what, of these conspiracy theories in order to kind of, you know, excavate what they were trying to say. Even if you don't necessarily believe in them, like what are what are they trying? What are they getting at? They must be getting at you know the stories must be getting at something. And mm-hmm. so I think it's kind of in that vein. You say the futility comes in of trying to tie knots of things that are like inherently untieable. Um, again, it's kind of a complicated topic, but people who you know write about that about this topic say that you know I mean that there's that there's something inherently unfinalizable mm-hmm. about um, the sort of, you know, the sort of global capitalist world that we now live in in the 21st century. And, and so the conspiracy theory that tries to sort of, you know, produce this narrative that ties you know, everything up is really, is is just, is, is too simplistic. Pelevins doesn't do that. I mean, you notice that, you know, as many times as as he asks, well, who's in control of all this? He just, it, it, the, the answer just recedes further and further back. Now, people who study this would probably say, yeah, and there's a reason for that. It's because this question that we ourselves are posing about the shape of, you know, sort of global capitalism or, you know, sort of whatever, however you want to define that is itself so, so hyper-connected, so complex that any attempt to model it basically implodes. Mm -hmm. And so you could say, hey, you know, that that is actually a a very, a totally viable approach to it. It's just modeling the shape of our sort of hyper-connected kind of digital internet culture, but also the the, the shape of, you know, 21st century uh, capitalism. That reminds me of Joe Pesci's line in JFK. (laughs) Is that a question wrapped in a mystery, wrapped in an enigma or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly exactly what it is. The the problem is, of course, when people try to, you know, come up with an answer. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they, you know, that it's, that it is, in fact, the Masons. Yeah. <laughs> um, was it like I was at a, I was at my gym in Spokane a couple of years ago, and some some guy was telling me. I mean, he heard that I, I, we were talking, and I said I was from Austin, and he said, "Oh, do you know Alex Jones?" And, and <laughs> I said, "Well, not personally, but <laughs> but I know of him." And I told him I was working on this, and he said, "Oh, well, you know, I, he had a, a favorite." Um, conspiracy theory, obviously. He was actually a, 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 a postal worker. He works at the post office in downtown Spokane. And he said, well, you know, have you heard about the um, the Spetsnaz, the Russian Spetsnaz who are being deployed in the U.S.? Um, and at some point, um, uh, he was going on about it. And then as he left, he just looked at me and he, he, he grinned and he said, remember, it's not a, it, it's not a theory. Because <laughs> I told him about, you know, I said, I'm interested in conspiracy theory. And he wanted, you know, he wanted me to know that this was actually happening. Which reminded me a little bit of like, you know, that old Alex Jones meme about the, or the black helicopters meme, mm-hmm. which I think now is pretty passe. I don't, I don't think anyone talks about black helicopters anymore. I wanted to circle back and ask you one more question about Pilevin. I know you kind of mentioned that you haven't read most of his more recent work. And so as some, so I read, uh, for example, I Fuck Ten uh-huh. and Lubov Kutryom Sukarbrinam, The Love of the uh-huh. Three Sucker Brins. Uh, yeah. 
And, and then I've led a bunch of his older stuff like Oman Ra and so right. on. And I love him as a writer and I think it's hilarious and I continue mm-hmm. to read it. But what I do notice is that I, I do feel that he is kind of a one trick pony where yeah. most of his works all have this exact same structure where it's like a matryoshka dog or an onion and you're right. kind of peeling it back. And mm-hmm. then once you get to the center, it like loops all the way back yeah. around again. And so on the other hand, I, I am highly entertained by his books, but I'm always disappointed that I feel like structurally he is just kind of this one trick pony. And I'm really, I'm looking forward to him to try to do something different from that. Is that, is that something you've noticed? Or? I think everyone who's, who's dealt with him at this point has noticed um, yeah. that this is, that this is the, this is the case. I think, unfortunately, what is, I mean, there, one thing that certainly, you know, sort of um, influences the fact that he's under contract to produce, you know, a oh, novel right. a year, which sure. which obviously you know affects the, the quality of these works. I mean, he seems to be doing pretty well, but mm-hmm. the, but the, the, I think so that that's part of the the issue, maybe. But but um, my sense after having you know, I mean, I haven't like like the I fuck I haven't I haven't read. It's on my shelf, and I'm I was looking at it the other day. And I have a sense that I'm going to find more of the same. Now, I'm always entertained nonetheless because I, I, I picked up Methuselah's Lamp and I thought, well, I don't know. Do I really want to go here? Do I really want to read this? Um, uh, and then I end up – someone asked me to do a paper at a conference in Michigan um, on Palavin. And so, uh, so I thought, okay, well, yeah, yeah. now I have to talk about Palavin and the multiverse. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I think that, you know, in his in his uh, defense, I think that what is interesting – I mean, you're right that it has a basic structure or a basic couple structures that he then varies. Um, but I do think that um, – you know that, that it really is that it is useful the way that he sort of uh, appropriates pop culture. You know, kind of shapes his various narratives around whatever whatever is kind of the the, the zeitgeist or the or the sort of the thing Absolutely. at the moment. Um, so, mm-hmm. I mean, that helps sort of shape my thinking. It certainly helps in dealing with uh, with students. Uh, it's it's uh, at the very least it's exciting for them. But I think he. I mean, he. That I think is interesting. Whether or not he's going to sort of break out of this this basic structure mm-hmm. that he or a couple different modes. Okay. Yeah, I, I think probably not. Yeah. I think he's just going to keep going. Then there's the whole argument about that he, he's also a, a Buddhist, and so that he right. uses that structure because it reflects his internal. Yeah. understanding of the universe or yeah but it, uh, the, the funny thing is that he seems to vary that from one novel to the like he'll 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 sort of i mean i hate to i mean it sounds like he's using like he's got a, a recipe it's like a recipe in a cookbook and it's not but he does seem like it, you know one novel there'll be something about you know there'll be this sort of buddhist message if you will and then the next one there won't be and then that you know the so it's like every other to repudiate right. his book being right but i mean if we look at it this way, you could, if you wanted to, take all of Dostoevsky's novels and reduce them to a, yeah. a few. I mean, I hate to even say this on air. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe you can edit this out. Yeah. But, um, but you know, people people only have so many things that they are truly invested in thinking about or so many things that really move them. And they tend, all things being equal, I think, to sort of replicate those over and over. And once you start reading, so, you know, you, you you read Crime and Punishment, you read, you know, Demons, you read The Idiot, then you read, you know, uh, Brothers Karamazov. And after a while, you notice not that the books are the same, of course they're not, but that there are certain sort of key issues that this person is obsessively replicating. Yeah. And 
of course it's the it, it's the actual act of replicating that yeah. we enjoy i mean there's you mm-hmm. know there's the there's the sort of aesthetic the, the, the artistic literary world that is created that we enjoy exactly. even though we might sense i mean if it's dostoevsky or tolstoy for instance that we're that, that basically kind of circling like a moth around the same basic dilemmas over mm-hmm. and over and over again but nonetheless we you know or it could, i mean it could be cormac mccarthy for instance yeah. i mean same thing right. i mean it's like it doesn't it doesn't really matter that much mm-hmm. palavin I, I i understand sometimes you get irritated with him because it seems a little maybe some of the things that he brings up <laughs> Some of his pet peeves or issues seem a bit juvenile. I think sometimes his uh, sort of lashing out at political correctness seems a little juvenile yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah, I, I understand the fr- frustration maybe on some level, but... It's quite a bit to ask artists, though, to just like give us something new every time. Like give, even yeah. Someone like Kubrick, like his movies are about different things, but right. if you look at... Shot selection from Eyes Wide Shut and The Shining, like you see a pattern. Right. If you look, right. If you're looking, if you look towards, if you sort of dig down into the deep structure, you will see that there. It's over and over again. They're 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 kind of hovering over these these central these nodes. I think it's and, the nature of so much art, right. probably. Yeah, and I mean that it's it's if nothing else, it's the nature of human person, personality sure. because there are only so many things that are you know on the level of I guess on the level of sort of deep uh, psychological structure that are going to be really animating to us mm-hmm. and then you know but but you know that having been said you can sort of infinitely vary your response to those those nodes or stimuli or whatever it right. is right. Um, and that's I think what a lot of artists do they just I mean mm-hmm. whoever I mean well that's also what I want to get at moving and I don't want to keep asking you questions that you don't want to answer as oh, we you, talked you about off about, about just conspiracy <laughs> in general. But uh-huh. so we, when we talk about Kalevin, like that is uh, Kalevin, that's conspiracy in a Russian's hands. And now we look at in America and we think of like Oliver Stone. Mm-hmm. And he wants to kind of be this sort of Palavin like artist, but he has to tie everything together in the end. Like right. JFK, he needs Kevin Costner going, hey, hey, right. like right. he needs right. that. He can't just, I mean, and that might just be Hollywood. He, you know, he can't write a. No, I think that he, I mean, he's pretty invested. Um, I mean, he's invested in tying up all the loose. I mean, he's one of those um, sort of conspiracy believers um, who needs a neatly, um, uh, who's, who needs narrative closure. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, there are those, you know, more sophisticated um, kind of cultural figures like Pynchon or, or DeLillo, yeah. um, who clearly are playing with the fact that we, with the sort of indeterminate kind of universe, but... And who 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 are sort of opposed to the idea of any closure, and who don't give it to you. I mean, essentially. Right. But he is one of those people, I think, who, you know, who, who who obviously like sort of traumatized by his experiences during the Vietnam era. You know more about that than I do. But that that and then tried to find a definitive mm-hmm. explanation. You know, sort of a comprehensive explanation for where this all began. Who were the actors? I mean, I guess I mean assume it's 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 the the assassination, mm-hmm. but then you know then to pinpoint exactly the genealogy of the problem right. in order to I don't know perhaps to to give a kind of counter vision, in, I mean an equally equally mythologized vision of uh, of of the true the true America how mm-hmm. how things might have how, how things should have been. Um, and would have been had they not gone awry because of the conspiracy. Right. Right. Um, That's the Manchurian candidate theme for sure. Yeah. It's all the Lincoln right, uh, right. evocation. It's all the yeah. old America. Exactly. And now this is what things are now. Um, which, I mean, is not surprising. I mean, you know, it clearly, you know, that 
there was that sort of loss. I mean, that, that sort of moment of loss of innocence that, or what was perceived, what mm -hmm. he perceived as the moment where, you know, the country loses its innocence or loses its way. The problem is, you know, we talked about is that, uh, that it's probably a, fa a false causality. I mean, it's like, it's, it, you know, it's very, very difficult to say, well, when did this happen? Because... Probably never it, had it. it, or, it there yeah. was there isn't a point of origin. Mm -hmm. It's just a story that we tell ourselves that uh, you know that that re kind of reintroduces some sort of agency uh, into our world because we can say, well, this is exactly where it happened, um, and if only we can undo this or get justice could, for it. Yeah, or get justice for it, then we would we would be back mm -hmm. uh, in this world that would be sort of comprehensible and manageable and so forth and. So I mean I, I'm sympathetic I guess in some ways, but then it ends up being this this narrative that's just way too tidy mm -hmm. um, uh, in terms of how it understands um, the problems mm -hmm. that it's that it's getting at. Like the X Files, for instance, is much more right. more interesting, right? Because it, there are multiple um, sort of you know kind of multiple strands that come together to mm -hmm. produce this sort of fictional world. Mm -hmm. I do want to get in the X-Files a little bit, but one last point on that. I think it's the distinction between someone who's a into conspiracy theory, someone like Palaevin or Pynchon, and like someone who believes shit, which is Oliver Stone. <laughs> and, and there was a big through line about how there are no coincidences in conspiracies. There can't be two things that happened and mm -hmm. it's not perfectly explained. That doesn't exist. It needs to have happened for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And there can't be any sort of you know margin of error on that. Right. I don't think Oliver Stone thinks like that. No, no, he's <laughs> this Snowden he's, movie he's was not, much worse. Than yeah, that he's not a he's he's he, no, he's not a subtle thinker, and and he doesn't see the he doesn't see the gray zones. I mean, right? There aren't there are no yeah. coincidences, right? right. Uh, the, the, you know that famous line that you hear from from conspiracy belief, from you know paid up members of the conspiracy club. Could it be a coincidence? <laughs> is that <laughs> now, is it possible that that's a coincidence? Right. Well, yes. Sometimes things. You know, uh, shit happens. you know, shit happens, right? Yeah. He also it's, wrote Scarface. He's not a big right, fan of right. subtlety in general. Yeah. So it's not always that the Masons or the Reptilians are are behind it. And so, when did you realize that the X Files was going to be a key component of a grad school course? <laughs> I was very happy that it was. Um, uh, I don't, it was, I was not that much, uh, as with Conspiracy in general, I was not that much of a, of a fan. So I was just, I have to say, I mean, it's kind of a lame answer, but I was sort of casting around for things mm -hmm. that I thought would resonate, um, with people. Um, and then I started going back over the show, rewatching the show that I'd watched as a, as a sort of casual, um, not particularly thoughtful observer of the phenomenon and, and, but instead of, you know, revisiting and, and um, uh, rethinking the show, what uh, what sort of you know, became clear to me is that it was that it was just fantastic and brilliant, um, and uh, and a, a sort of interesting reaction to, uh, as opposed to maybe Oliver Stone, to all of the you know the the, the, in, the kind of the entire arc of post-war American um, history. I guess you would call it secret history. The things that people. Um, were that, that people simply didn't know, right? I mean, all of these things that come up in the show, it's like, 
you know, Operation Paperclip, um, stuff like stuff like that, that most people honestly to this day, I think probably don't know what that is. Um, and so this sort of secret underground history that really hadn't been told um, and that contained all sorts of, you know, sort of monstrosities. I mean, one of the things that the show deals with, you know, sort of it has, you know, lots of monsters, creatures, right? But but it's interesting that really one of the things that you, that I think that say became clear to me in rewatching the show is that it's about the, the monstrosities, um, the sort of monstrous things that were done in the name of this sort of Cold War conflict by the secret um, parts of the American government that people were not aware of, but that had profoundly dis destabilizing effects. And so I think that the, the show was, was was just brilliant in bringing that up and, and in subtle ways, also in terms of not sort of, not, not, not tying up all the loose ends, but just sort of excavating that trauma that occurred, I think, across this entire post-war American period. Right. You know, whether it could be whatever, I mean, Operation Paper, like Tuskegee experience, all this mm -hmm. stuff, you know, MK Alter, all these things that really most people to this day, I think most normal American people have no idea that there's a history beneath the history that they're, that, you know, that, that is. Which is just sad and disappointing for me because, like, for me, it's hard to understand how somebody cannot know about Operation Paperclip just because, like, we know stuff about, like, Von Braun and the right. rock. It's like, I thought Von Braun, for example, was like a banal part of American history. And then if you can make it undersee something like that, then know. you just want well, I mean, to pull to understand. You could, but it, but the problem is that it, 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 the minute that you pull that string, the, the entire sort of mythological edifice begins to unravel. I remember I was, uh, I was at White Sands Missile Range. Mm. And there's a this museum there, and a friend and I were visiting the museum, and this this older couple was looking at a picture, at a photo of Werner von Braun, and I said, yeah, he was a Nazi, um, <laughs> <laughs> and you should have seen the sort of sour look on their faces, um, uh, and I laughed and I said, I can say that because my grandfather was a Nazi too, and they didn't <laughs> like that answer either, but clearly it was unsettling, and and of course it's it, you know it's obvious, I mean Saturn rocket. Program. I mean, that was all Werner von right. Braun. He used slave labor. I mean, he was. I mean, he was. A, he was a Nazi. Yeah. There's right? no. I mean, there's, there's no and, gray there. You know. There's. I mean, he wasn't. Mm. I mean, was he the worst of the ones that they pulled? That, that you know that, that they got. No. There were. There were. Um, and did they use the absolute worst people? No, they didn't. But they used people who were useful. And we should point out Operation Paperclip is the yes the claiming of Nazi scientists into American science programs. Right. I mean, in the context of the Cold War, they were useful for various reasons. There was, I'm pretty sure, there was one fellow who'd done experiments. I want to say at Auschwitz he, on human with, subjects, on, on human subjects sure, yeah. that involved low pressure and vacuum. Yeah. environments because this is something that was going to be useful for the space program. Right. Um, and so they basically whitewashed that person's dossier and these people ended up working somewhere for the for the, for the Pentagon or, mm -hmm. or whatever in the space program because they were useful or people that they assumed had a lot of knowledge about how, you know, about fighting communism. I, I mean, I think as, uh, as I remember the story in a lot of cases, actually people were inflating their credentials. Nazis were successful at that. They, they were, but, yeah. but a lot of cases people were telling what they what these officials what they wanted to hear because they they they, they had to produce yeah, right, and yeah, they sure. may not have been that excess that successful in certain things so but in any case the fact that we you know the fact that we used them uh, you know uh, the, the fact that there was operation paperclip that's beautifully sort of mm. plays itself out in x files i think there's even an episode in which 
there's a there's some aliens that are being I believe this episode they're being, called Paperclip. I mean, is it is it? Yeah, and it's the one where so. they're in in train cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and they're you know being sent off to to be experimented on by these really CIA scientists. I've got, I've got to and see it like, now. You know, so and like, they have smallpox vaccines. I believe. Yeah. is the yeah. Um, Mulder's covers. And so there's you know here's this convergence between um, the you know American post-war what would you call it establishment and and these the, and, the, and these Nazi scientists that you know that is is just really interesting but also quite troubling and so I think the the show is is brilliant and yeah I don't I don't know if this is going to take the conversation in a weird direction but I what I'm thinking about is just what what's this going to mean for how we teach history going forward because for me I'm thinking about the people didn't know what paperclip was and i'm trying to remember to my eighth grade history textbook and i'm pretty sure there was a there was a just a line in there hey there was this thing called operation paperclip where we got these you know, don't yeah. google it <laughs> um maybe that too but I, this I was in your eighth grade history that, textbook? if i'm not if i'm not mistaken i want i want to believe that right I, that's something that i want you want to believe yeah that's something, that I, that's something that i want to believe but so what, what does that mean do we is this the kind of thing that we do need to be putting into history textbooks so more people do kind of have or is it kind of this thing where civics it's is never too, too far wanna, from the brain is it this kind of thing of there's always this balance right do we make our society more cynical and that has consequences or do we do we focus on these idealistic aspects of civics or whatever and focus on that and it's always kind of a balance and i'm just interested to see how it weaves and resolves itself going forward i mean i don't you know it, it's a good question if it were up, i guess if it were up to me um you know i would say more more of that is better better because because so much of our history is actually just myth, i mean it's just sort of cultural mythology sure. and ideology sure. you know wrapped in, in in this sort of historical package uh so that people i mean people you know end up i mean again i, I don't i have wasn't in high school recently so i don't know i remember my own high school experience which really was in, in which it was just yeah. mythology i mean it was very little better than what people would have been getting in the soviet union yeah. at the same time i mean yeah. yes Obviously, their 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 sort of narrative was, um, was was even still more mythologized. But um, but what we were getting, um, there was you know there were there were so many things that had been left out. We certainly had no idea about any of these things. If you'd said Operation Paperclip, I mean, no one would have had any reference point uh, for those sorts of things or MKUltra or whatever it was. Um, so. I would say, you know, at the risk of making people more cynical, I mean, okay, yes, maybe that is one of the spin-offs of it, but but at the same time, I think less mythology is no, is, is better. I mean, that. we certainly we're we're um, very keen on criticizing Russians for the fact that they're now re-mythologizing their own history, um, you know, producing single textbooks of, mm -hmm. of Russian history, which of course is a terrible idea, <laughs> right? I mean, nobody's. Yeah. But at the same yes. time, though. You know, because precisely because they're 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 trying to reinvigorate these you know these cultural mythologies. There's no question about that. That's what they're doing. But at the same time, we are heavily invested in our own, and we we you know we don't like it if 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 people um, mess sort of mess around with those. So, mm -hmm. what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I think we should we we should um, we need to obviously rethink um, our own history. And so yeah. you know to the extent that. If, if 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 you know having people watch the X Files in an environment where they're you know where they are able contextual way where they're able to to see what the show is really doing and then to talk about those issues I think it'd be tremendously useful. Mm -hmm. I mean I'm I'm surprised that you that there was a mention of Operation Paperclip in it. That's in just a, I mean how I it may be your yeah you might be sort of absolutely but right even I one thing I do remember though is also like for example the way we talked about slavery for example mm -hmm. in history class and it was taught in this way of like. 
look how in the in the in these in the early 20th century about how there was this mythologized version of what slavery mm-hmm. was like and then there, so there was this whole reflective element of look how our culture used to mythologize the thing and now let's pull the 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 wool from over your eyes and see the the real thing mm-hmm. and so it just seems like you have to take that principle to all these other things and i don't know how much it's, it's been I mean, done well i mean it's it's you know it, it, that sort of thing is i mean it, because i think that you know the united states much like russia is invested is heavily invested in an exceptionalist narrative. I don't think that's. I mean, that's that's not controversial. Everyone knows that. But, um, but I don't think um, that uh, perhaps everyday people realize how much we have been. I don't know if that's necessarily so much the case now at the at this moment. Um, uh, but that has been the case. And 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 when you are that invested in that exceptionalist narrative, in Russia it has a slight. It has a different shape. But it, it, it's very much the same thing. It is very traumatic for that to when people start questioning that, uh, and it's very difficult to move yeah. away from. I mean, one one of the sort of kind of simple examples that I thought sort of speaks to this issue. I mean, if you go to YouTube and you look up Canadian government apologizes for abuses of residential school system, you can see Stephen Harper and the entire Canadian government publicly apologizing for what happened in the residential schools. It's right there. Multiple languages, and it's 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 very eloquent, and it's 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 a it's a great gesture. Now, people, indigenous people in Canada, would probably say, "Well, yes, it's nice, but blah blah blah." There are other things that need to be done, but nonetheless, there it is. Now, uh, as I understand it, there was something equivalent that was done here under Obama, but it was done in the fine appropriate uh, in the fine print of an, a defense appropriations bill, and the reason I sus- I suspect for that is that it, it you know once you have sort of you know, kind of anchored yourself in this kind of cultural mythology, it becomes very, very difficult to pry yourself loose from oh, it. Absolutely. And it involves in, in also Russia, the trauma. Questioning the right. mythology is rewriting history. And right. you go to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs <laughs> public pages, and it's all about how they're trying to rewrite right. our history, but it's right. mythology. Right. I mean, that's, in fact, that's one of the conspiracies that, um, that, that came up. I think there was a, some sort of a why am I approximating? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there was a poll, right, that was done in 2018 that talked about, um, that basically uh, concluded that like 66% of Russians believe in this Miravaya Zakulisa, which is hard to translate. But but one of the th- one of the conspiracy ideas was that there was this conspiracy by the West to rewrite Russian history, so as to downplay its, you know, its. It's role in world. It just downplay its its history, its role in in, in world history, which is exactly, by the way, what Pulevin was playing on Mm -hmm. in the novel, right? So they go back in time to 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 rewrite this, you know, or to basically engage in this counter conspiracy, counter subversive project of rewriting history, so that it reflects the actual state of Russian greatness. But but yeah, that's that was that was one of the things that um, I wasn't terribly surprised by, but. But it was interesting to see. Oh yes, they're okay. So they're afraid of this, of, the, of that sort of exceptionalist narrative being downgraded in some way. And I think that uh, we're not particularly different in that in, in that regard. I think in that. I mean, strangely, we mirror each other mm-hmm. as much as we sure. would not like to see that. I think that we, as a sort of ideological nation, um, who are heavily invested in this, these kind of load-bearing narratives, right. I think we're very, very similar. You do see that kind of moving. I, I'm thinking just like a pop culture point of view. If you see Russian historical films, they're far more aggrandizing than ever been. Mm-hmm. And America's kind of gone the other way. I'm thinking of Tarantino's last three movies, which are just mm-hmm. like 
you know, screw your history movie. I want to make a fun movie about a historical topic that has nothing to do with reality. Mm -hmm. um, then with Andrew Dominic's uh, assassination of Jesse James, which is about 12 years old now. Mm -hmm. And it's literally just like talking about Jesse James is very important, like folk figure. It's uh -huh. like he was a piece of garbage. And the guy who killed him had a very good reason to kill him. Uh -huh. And it's, I mean, I think there's just, we're dealing with our history in completely different ways while we both want to hold on to this, you know. <laughs> Well, so, I mean, what you're saying is that basically, in, in terms of how Hollywood deals with it, we're right. sort of deconstructing this mythology. And that, I think, is the general trend. And I, it's, it, would be, it would be hard to imagine anything, anything other, different yeah. than that at this point. Whether that, though, you know, whether that sort of Hollywood deconstruction of, of national, American national mythology actually um, uh, sort of trickles down to the heartland is mm -hmm. uh, is another question because okay. there's now this you know this distrust I think of Hollywood and Hollywood's intentions but I mean I think that <laughs> I mean be, did they ever precisely get, yeah, because sure. you know yeah. because they're doing that I mean I think that trend will continue mm -hmm. um, uh, I mean it's 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 absolutely logical mm -hmm. but at the same time in the Russian it's context the of course it's mm -hmm. going to be it, it is absolutely going to be the opposite because yeah. there is so much. <laughs> trauma um, in the 1990s around the unraveling of historical narratives and mm -hmm. narratives in general, that really we would expect the trend to be consolidation, not only of history textbooks so that you have a single unitary history <laughs> of Russian yes, uh, that yes. of course excludes Yeltsin and yeah. <laughs> oh, right, if yeah. possible. Oh, right. But there's so much trauma that for the time being, I think what we're going to see is exactly that, that, that kind of consolidationist mm -hmm. um, mood reflected in cultural artifacts with some exceptions obviously but i and i don't know when that would when that will end because there's because for them i suspect it feels like a life and death issue we don't need any more spielberg greatest generation porn well the russians it, need a lot of greatest yeah, generation would they right? need to, it's gonna because it's gonna, i mean again one who wants to prognosticate but it's it takes a while to bounce back from that yeah, level of of, of, of trauma and, and clearly that's that's what happened so I don't I wouldn't expect to see that that, that, that level of sophistication or, or self-interrogation on the part of the, the historical myth makers and no death of Stalin won't be playing anywhere no, well that was a it, Scottish it, English movie yeah thing, English it's Scottish not, director. No, that, that's not gonna happen the, one of the high examples of this in Russia there was a movie I think it was called 28 Pamphilovsky it was like it's this pa oh pump Pamphilovsky, yeah. right? Twenty-eight, I think. Uh -huh. Lots of voice him, and it's a, it's this, you know, this World War II propaganda fake story mm. about this brigade that was like annihilated, but they kill all these Germans, and it's a, it's a, it's a fake story. But mm. then, and so the Ministry of Culture was like, well, hey, look, we're not gonna, you know, fund this because this is a mythology, right? right. But then it got crowdfunded, and because <laughs> it's going around the government, then there's, it's oh, it's the salt of the earth, real people keeping our real story uh -huh. uh, alive, and it was a smashing success and whatnot. So, I mean, you've been super generous with your time. Do you want to give us a few minutes on what the next book is going to look like? Or uh... um, So, the, what I'm working on now, I, I don't exactly, um, uh, I'm not exactly sure, but what I've been thinking, uh, what I've been thinking about is uh, basically 
something along the lines of the the, the, the weaponization of, of word in the Russian context. In other words, uh, and this sort of um, emerges from something that I was thinking about um, in connection with um, Zakhar Prilepin, the contemporary Russian author who went to Donbass and famously created his own uh, Prilepin battalion, which since ba- actually has gone back, I mean, he, he then sort of transferred it back to the Danet or Elanet or whichever one it was, but but I was thinking that it's kind of interesting, this sort of combination of the fighter slash writer, um, or the writer who is also a Polchenitz, a fighter. I'm just now finishing a book called Vzvod, which is either, what is it? What is Vzvod? Is it like it's like, not a platoon. It's not a regiment. Oh, right, right. Maybe right. it's a regiment. Yeah. I, I Company. Should, Attachment. I, I never. I can yeah. never get these yeah. straight. But but it's an attempt, basically, to to sort of. It's a revisionist um, look at early nineteenth century Russian literature, especially around eighteen twelve. But it's an attempt to sort of re envision um, Russian literature, not as um, a, a, not in the key of pacifism, but in the key of militarism. And so, in a sense, uh, it would be something about the the weaponization, the word in defense of empire. Mm-hmm. That's that's my latest um, kind of interest. Strangely, it's also one of those things that you know. Personally, if I had to th- talk about what I'm interested in, no, I, I, it would not be my first choice. Mulder and Scully fan fiction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I have I have my you know my personal tastes are completely I think are, are just very different from this, but. But, um, and I might not be thinking about this, if I didn't think that it was important. And I think, I mean, and you can see there's a connection, obviously, with the with the, the conspiracy book. But I think it's important. I hope it doesn't involve me actually going there. <laughs> because uh, I don't know how, or I'm sort of dreading the idea. Yeah. yeah, but it would be weird if, if my, my first trip back to Russia after many years were not to Russia, but to uh, Donbass, mm. which is not the easiest place to be, I'm sure. To get to or to leave, to, I to, yeah. To, I, well, I'm more I'm more worried about the leaving part. It's a hotel, California. I, <laughs> yeah. I do want to just mention for my listeners. I think I it's somewhere written on my phone. I think we have a standing bet that within ten years there will be a town in Russia called Putinsk. Putinsk, um, yeah, Putinsk, if I, or, or something not, like yeah, that. Yeah, it was Putinsk like whether it would be Putin. Well, probably there is Putin. Yeah, a Putin route. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but not but so, not Putin. Grat, but uh, mm-hmm. Putinsk. Uh-huh. But I, I would bet on you being back in Russia before we know the resolution of that bet. So, yeah. So. Well, anyway, next time you're on the show, you have to talk about your personal interests. Until then, okay. thank you so much. That's right. awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Steve. The views expressed on this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the show or the University of Texas. Please visit SlavXRadio.com for more information. Thank you for listening. The Slavic Connection is produced by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you.